Welcome to The Dividing Line. My name is James White and should look sort of normal, but not really normal today. We're doing a little experimentation today. Hope you can uh, work along with us. Uh, We have been working for a long time on getting a way of being able to do the program while traveling and we've ordered stuff and I guess the first time we ordered one thing, it like ended up in Botswana or something. Who knows? Um, but we, we eventually put together stuff. And what's going on is tomorrow evening at uh, 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern time. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, we have a um, discussion, roundtable slash debate going on on apologetic methodology, four different views. I think there's only three different views, but there's four different people. Um, And uh, so that's going to be being done the same way we're doing this. I'm not actually in the studio. Um, I'm actually in my house. And uh, for example, tomorrow night, uh, this is what I will be... uh, doing the, the round table like this, ta-da, uh, with my library. And, um, and then here is my prediction for the October surprise. I've, I've said we're going to have, we're going to have multiple October surprises. It's 2020. We'll probably have a, a daily surprise all through October, but this is, this is my big, my big prediction for, uh, October will be an invasion by the Borg <laughs> where we will all be, assimilated so yeah so that's what we're doing today and i sort of thought well the dialogue tomorrow night is going to be being done in the same way we're doing this so i'm zooming into the office and then we're using a program to put that out to youtube and that's how you're able to see it without being connected up with zoom that's the same thing for tomorrow night. Uh, the four of us will be zoomed into one meeting and then that will be put out toward you on YouTube. I've already posted the link to the, they've already put up the YouTube link for uh, tomorrow evening. So you can uh, set a reminder and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Uh, but my thinking was, yeah, okay. So we had tested this briefly yesterday, one person, five minutes, but it's never the five minutes that goes wrong. It's the 55 minutes that goes wrong or the two hours or however long the conversation is supposed to be uh, tomorrow evening. So uh, I thought, let's give it a little bit more of a test. See what else could happen. I mean, uh, my, my experience in running sound at a, at a large Baptist church years and years ago uh, proved to me that everything can be working fine while you're testing it. And then once it's game time, uh, everything changes. So uh, we decided let's give it a let's give it a shot. And later we're going to look at maybe having a phone caller or two because I it would help if I can make sure that the back and forth as far as being able to hear uh, works really well too. So there you go. That's why it looks a little a little bit different, but that's 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 the right background anyways. But you'll notice the warp core is not moving, so I can fix that. Um, I can actually, I could actually do, I could actually make a video, um, that would, uh, that would do that. And I'm not sure even how to turn, I, I don't think I can turn all that stuff off. If I mute it, then I can't hear anything. So you're probably going to hear a few beeps and blaps and stuff, uh, during the program, but no one's uh, ever died of bleeps and blaps. Anyway, you probably saw it. I certainly saw it. Uh, yesterday it was posted a, um, uh, talking about race from the NMAAHC, which is the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And what really struck me, uh, this graphic, look it up, it's everywhere. It's, it's all over Twitter, it's all over Facebook, it's everywhere. Um, but aspects and assumptions of whiteness, white culture in the United States. And of course, anything that's white is bad uh, now. But what was really interesting was the stuff that was identified as being white culture. Um, Bob Gagnon uh, put a Facebook article up about this. And he sort of put it all together. 
if a white supremacist group said that whiteness was characterized by rugged individualism, self-reliance, emphasis on scientific method, objective, rational, linear thinking, preparedness, planning for the future, self-control, delayed gratification, a strong work ethic, work before play, optimism, tomorrow will be better, monotheism, focus on a single God concept, punctuality, follow rigid time schedules, and politeness, be polite, therefore implying that blackness entailed dependency on handouts, irrational thinking, short-sightedness, an absence of self-control, laziness, pessimism, polytheism, animism, lateness, and rudeness, they would be roundly denounced for their stereotyping racism. And of course, he's right. But that's exactly what is in this graphic uh, from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. It is amazing. And what needs to be recognized, I think it's very, very important to see here, and what needs to be recognized is they specifically identify the Protestant work ethic, they specifically identify hard work, work before you play, um, delayed gratification, like maybe even having a savings account or basically being an adult as aspects of whiteness. And the thing that we need to recognize, I think, and the author of this did recognize it because they, they mentioned Christianity more than once, what the scriptures identify as evidence of the spirit, self-control, sanctification, mortification of the flesh, um, discipline, this identifies as whiteness. Well, what's what then, if you get rid of whiteness, if you, you know, we, we have entire uh, cities right now forcing their employees to go through sensitivity training to rid themselves of their whiteness so they don't show up for work on time now? Is, is, that, is that how that, that's supposed to work? How, how does that show respect for anybody else? I've, I've never understood that. I mean, we, we all know people who can't get anywhere on time. And we always wonder you know, once or twice, I get it. You know, all of us have been late due to unforeseen circumstances. But when you've got someone who's always late, just always late, that's a character flaw. That's a lack of preparation. That's really, honestly, not showing respect for anybody else. I mean, if you're a teacher, you need to be on time if you respect your students. If you're are an employer, you need to be on time to open the place up. You don't want your, your employees standing outside waiting for you to show up if you're the one that ends up opening things up, et cetera, et cetera. This is just simple ad- adulthood. And it's interesting to me that the same time something like this comes out, you may have just seen, and this one really caught my attention, the video from an airport. I don't know which airport it was. I know they were going to Philadelphia and there was a delay. Shocking. That's never happened in an airport before. And here you have a group of black women, young women, probably late teens, early twenties, maybe mid twenties attacking the employees of the airline, the spirit airline. Punching them, swinging, throwing stuff, just going nuts over a delayed flight. Now, part of this is just simply the, the, the raising of the hand of, of God's restraint of evil. I mean, it's just, have I, say, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Has anyone else noticed this? Everybody is driving 10 miles per hour faster on the freeway now, just over the past few weeks. Have you noticed that? I mean, I set my, I've got a Subaru Forester. I love, it's beautiful. It's an awesome vehicle. And it's super geeky. And it has the interactive cruise control, stay in your lane, all that kind of stuff. And I love it. But I set it for the same speed to get out to church on a Sunday afternoon because we meet at four o'clock to get to church on a Sunday, 
set it for the same speed. And now I feel like I'm in Sun City or I'm the Sun City driver and everyone's just going right past me. And I've set it for the same speed that I've been setting it for, for ever since we started going out there. And now it's 10 miles an hour slow. And it just seems like everybody's like, well, we're defunding the police. The police aren't going to bother me. So I'm just going to go ahead and start throwing things and beating people up and, and everything else in the process. But the, in that video, it was a group of black women who were, I think, attacking at least one black, poor black woman who's working for the airline. And by the way, the poor person at the gate has nothing to do with anything. They, they, can't, they can't make planes land faster. They can't, they can't get ground stoppages cleared. They, they, they can't take care of gate issues as far as what gate the plane's coming into if the gate's not available. And they, 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 they can't do anything. Blaming them and going after them is just dumb. Um, really is. But anyway, it did seem that what this graphic was saying had communicated to those young ladies because they weren't doing any of the things that self-control and all the rest of that stuff. Though, interestingly enough, they were demanding that the airline be white because they wanted the flight to be what? On time. Oh, wow. This stuff, and again, this stuff has been out there. We've actually been pointing to this stuff. But it always seemed like it was just on the fringes someplace. It's not on the fringes anymore. It's not on the fringes anymore. It's becoming absolutely mainstream. And that's rather frightening. So it's interesting. What you're seeing then is an identification of the fruit of the spirit with whiteness. Now, what do you think that's intended to do? What do you think that's intended to do? Um, this morning, let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, I thought I had left that. Uh, I thought I had left that up. One of the problems having this is you've got, I've got stuff everywhere, and it's right in front of me, so I, I can't keep looking at the camera when I'm trying to pull stuff like this up. But um, this morning. Uh, Tom Buck, well, actually, he sent it to me last night. Um, Tom Buck was, uh, is talking right now about uh, a lecture on hermeneutics from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he has posted some videos of a black woman professor who is talking about African insights into biblical interpretation. Now, we live in a day where people are literally saying that everything needs to be decolonialized, whatever in the world that means. I suppose in the United States, that would mean you tear everything down we've built and everybody lives in log cabins or something. I, I don't know. But we've heard of people saying in Africa, for example, uh, people saying we need to get rid of Western science and mathematics because it's colonial. And you're, you're, you're just going, but that's where the hospitals come from and the medical advances and electricity and cell phones. And you, you sure you want to get rid of that? Because uh, I mean, without mathematics, none of that stuff works. I hate to tell you that, but sort of dependent upon that, you know, doing math. And again, going back to the graphics, you know, education based, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you really want to get rid of that? And so we've started seeing people teaching things in our various and sundry seminaries and institutions of higher learning where what you need to do is you need, to, you need to open yourself up to new perspectives. Um, don't just, well, remember Beth Moore going through her, um, her library and trying to 
get it to be less white. You know, all I've got are books by old white guys. And so what's in the book, the depth of its learning, the accuracy of its information. I mean, the vast majority of our Greek lexicons are done by what would be called white guys. They're Europeans primarily. And so you would have no mechanism left to do translation work if you decolonialized New Testament studies, if you decolonialized uh, textual critical studies. I mean, Munster is in Germany, of all places. It's really white there. Um, and so what, how, how does all this... How does all this end up working out when you say you want to get rid of whiteness and you need to start listening to other perspectives? The Bible was not written in Africa or in the United States or in South America or in Russia or in China. We do pay close attention to the historical context. The Reformation really opened that up did it really did a really good job in opening that up and and helping us to really emphasize the reality that we want to know what the original author was saying to the original audience we want to know what how he wanted his words to be interpreted we want to know how they would have interpreted his words and then and only then can we then make application to the many many different cultures that the scriptures have gone out to And so we recognize that different cultures will interpret the message in different ways. What we want to do is want to communicate in such a way that the message doesn't get lost in the translation. But the method of interpreting the original languages and scripture and getting getting that core first, that doesn't change. It doesn't matter what color you are what ethnic group you're associated with, what your background is, and it has nothing to do with what your grandpappy did to my grandpappy or my grandpappy did to your great uncle. None of that's relevant. That, that has no meaning at all. But we're being told today, oh, it has, it's, it's primary. It's the primary focus. It's the primary lens. Oh, that's going to lead to further division, obviously. That's... That's what all this stuff is about. Divide, 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 divide. Break down, break down, break down, break down, break down. That's, that's all it can do. That's what it was designed to do. That's what it's accomplishing. So I'm going to try to do something here um, that I don't know I'm going to be able to do, uh, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I guess that's not the way to do it. Uh, oh, here we go. Share screen. And yeah, this here should work. So let's see if this works, okay? Um, I'm watching the uh, chat that's set up with Rich so that I can know. And boom. And here's the real question. Will you be able to hear this? Okay, you've got the screen. Um, Let's see if you can hear it. I'm not sure if you'll be able to because of the sound input, but if I shut up and it's loud enough, maybe it will. Let's find out. Um, Okay. So why isn't that playing? Okay. Stop the share. And... uh, Oh, it's because the entire photos program seems to have crashed. <laughs> yes, it did. Look at that. It, uh, it has died a thousand deaths. It is just simply, maybe it doesn't like Zoom. Uh, that's, well, this is why we got to find, find these things out. Uh, it's, a, yeah, it's a Mac thing, he says. Um, yeah, I can't even, I can't even, well, I'm, I'm able to minimize it, so... All right, so I can't play that. That's a, that's a shame. I thought I, 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 it worked beforehand. 
but it's not working now for some reason. I don't know why. Um, that's weird. There's obviously some type of a conflict there. Um, whoa, didn't want to do that. Oh, that's even making it worse. <laughs> uh, there we go. Make it smaller. There we go. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, but I wanted to play you her uh, statement wherein she was uh, talking about, okay, I got it. Got to jump out of at least uh, where it was. Um, I'm just gonna have to. My, basically, what she was saying is that there we need to allow for the uniqueness of the African worldview in producing hermeneutics, and that Africans have been interpreting the Bible for two thousand years. And so we need to tap into that as if there is an African interpretation and a European interpretation and a South American interpretation. Maybe there's a Russian interpretation. Who knows what? And once again, if all that's being said, and that's not what was being said, but if, that, if all that was being said is that once you have done the serious work of exegesis. And you have not defined words by an African lexicon versus a European lexicon versus a South American lexicon versus a Alaskan lexicon. You find out what the original author intended to communicate to the original audience you find out what analogies he was using, how they would have understood those things. Once you have that core message, then it's perfectly appropriate to talk about how to communicate that with clarity when certain cultural artifacts might interrupt the communication of the meaning of the text. So, some of this gets into something I'm not going to get into, to, into today, but um, I'll just mention something called semantic domains. The, the ranges of meanings of words and the fact that when you translate into other languages, you have to be very, very careful that you're using words where the semantic domain in the target language and in the original language are as similar as possible. Some big mistakes have been made. And, and you've heard... You've, you've heard the stories about how to translate Lamb of God into certain cultures where Lamb has a specific meaning that does not map to what was originally intended. And so you've got you to see if you can come up with something else to communicate in a, in a meaningful fashion uh, there. That's fully understandable. But critical theory doesn't, isn't talking about that last thing. It wants to cause the division up here at the front. It wants to cause the division in the idea that there is a singular meaning that is discernible and communicatable down through time is what critical theory is meant to destroy. You, you, can't, you can't have that. That's, that would be way too unifying some, uh, of an issue. And critical theory is anti- Unifying. Just look around you. Look at what critical theory is doing to our culture. And you will see that its fundamental effect and purpose and goal is disunification. Breaking apart anything that could cause any unity. And when that comes into the church, wow, is it a problem? Is it a problem? And so with that in mind, I was directed. Um, I don't know why I don't see these things. I really think that I really think that Twitter is trying to get rid of me in many different ways. <laughs> but I did not see this um, thread. Maybe it's because it was too late at night or something. I don't know. But the Didi Anubili put out a thread. And what we're looking at here in this thread that started 5.06 a.m. July 16th, so actually it was this morning, um, what we're really seeing here is sort of an inter-TGC discussion going on. 
Kevin DeYoung and Greg Morris uh, had written posts. My assumption, I didn't bother to look them up, but my assumption is that they had something to do with some of the um, super massive uh, black racism that we saw expressed on the last program. I played the Nick Cannon stuff, the Farrakhan stuff. I mean, if, if anyone hesitates to identify Louis Farrakhan as the worst level of racist you can be, No one argues, no one disputes that Farrakhan has taught literally for decades that if you have, if you are non-melanated, no one's non-melanated except albinos, but if you are non-melanated, you are a demon. You're a demon. You you, you are not even a human being. Um. He is a racist, has always been a racist, and he leads a racist group and organization. And yet he has full access to members of Congress. Uh, The Democrats have been fawning over Farrakhan forever. So not overly shocked that Nick Cannon would be involved with this kind of stuff. But as we said, it's been there for a long time. So you've got the black Hebrew Israelites, and then you've got the Nation of Islam, which doesn't have almost anything to do with Islam, but it's called the Nation of Islam. And so my, my gut feeling is people were, had to comment on how you should interpret seeing someone who is black expressing plainly, biblically defined racism. It's biblically defined. So in other words, it's hatred, it's prejudice um, against someone based upon the way God made them. And I've been saying for a long, long time, if racism is a sin, then all of Adam's sons and daughters are capable of committing it. But critical theory says no. Because racism, you can't talk about sin, not in a biblical sense. You can talk about it from their perspective. There's, there's definitely sin now. It's just a violation of what the state says, not a violation of what Scripture says. But from their perspective, racism requires power. And since it is claimed that they don't have the systemic structural power, uh, then therefore they can't be racist. And of course, the reality is... Many of us grew up as poor as church mice and had no power either. Uh, so the idea that we, by the nature of our melanization, have to be racist without power, whereas other people with melanin grew up with a silver spoon, but they can't be racist, is, of course, absurd. But that's the absurdity of our society right now. And I think there was a day when Thabiti Anya really would have recognized that. Uh, but I think what we're seeing in the thread that he posted, and I've noticed that a lot of people have just given up on trying to deny the existence of race, just talking about ethnicities. Uh, a lot of Christians have just started going, yeah, well, your race, my race, there's only one race. Um, but basically what you're reading here is um, his assertion. He says, in the last 24 hours, I've read posts from Reverend Kevin DeYoung and Greg Morris, both lovely and faithful brothers in the Lord, both making good points about the ways we can wrongly judge at individual levels and both appearing to resolve in individual, individualistic conclusions at group phenomenon. We need the cautions they give, all of us, but in this season, what we need most is careful understanding of racism itself and of the culture's tendency to over-individuate as a way of minimizing racism and absolving oneself. Notice culture, not, not, not scripture, not the early church, not the apostolic example. It's not ju- and it's not just culture as culture that would have existed anywhere else in the world up until the 
20th century in the United States. It's U.S. 21st century culture. And you can go back to the 20th for some of it. Um, this isn't, there's, there's nothing Bible in here. There really isn't. It's, it's all cultural. So the culture's tendency to over-individuate as a way of, way of minimizing racism and absolving oneself. Well, how does this work in regards to Farrakhan? Farrakhan and the, the Nation of Islam are racists. They are black racists. I haven't seen a lot of people really just making a big deal out of that. Maybe it's just because it's been so well known for so long, or I, I don't know, or it just doesn't fit the narrative. But he's a black racist. So his group is a black racist group. It's a black supremacy group. As the black Hebrew Israelites are too, in their various ways. And so how would this make, how would this make application? How would that be relevant? As a way of minimizing racism, does pointing out the individual responsibility of the members of Farrakhan's group or the black Hebrew Israelites, does that somehow minimize their racism or does it call for them personally to repent of their racism? That's, that's a question. That's a question. I've got to remember I've got to, got a microphone on here now and start swinging the hands around. I can end up knocking it off. Um, he says another tool in that process, all sides ism. Now here's, here's where it gets a little scary because what he says is a symbol of due to justice, to the issues, to acknowledge historical and theological abuses as Kevin does or contemporary instances as Greg does only to write applications and conclusions that risk ignoring the asymmetry of these sins, abuses, systems, and instances. So the idea is, okay, yeah, um, there are, and, and he specifically says that there are black racists. Uh, says, to be sure, both groups have attitudinal racists among them and have lunatic fringes but that's not to suggest they've committed the same sin in the main. So now we have racism is a different kind of sin depending on what your race is. Now he's using the word sin, but he's not defining sin biblically. He's defining it culturally. That's what we've got to be watching here. This is what's been coming into TGC for a long time now is instead of identifying, instead of doing what we're supposed to do, if you're going to say something's sin, get into the word and show me where it's sin. Instead, we get the use of Christian language with the definitions of the world. So we have different races committing different sins, but they're not the same sin in the main and notice uh, above, there was uh, sins, abuses, systems, and instances. So you've got to get systemic racism in there somehow, because that's, that's vitally important. Got to sneak it in there, even if you can't substantiate it from Scripture. It, it, it simply is not true, and not, not to be left open to suggestion, that if African Americans, I'm assuming that's what AAs, have either thought the same way about or acted the same way toward white Americans in these matters. The miracle of black history is that we fought for everyone's humanity despite recognizing inhumane treatment. Now, just wait a second. Notice the shift to the best of our group versus the worst of your group. And it's back to dividing on the basis of race. It's, it's critical theory functioning to divide things up and to allow distinctions to be made where there's no place the distinction within the Christian faith. So uh, you cannot suggest, according to Thabiti, 
that African-Americans have either thought the same way or acted the same way toward white Americans. Really? I've seen a lot of videos recently of some, uh, you know, those young black guys with the skateboards and rocks that just, just about killed that one fellow early on in the rioting. Yeah. I, I, do you really think it could get any worse than that? I think the sin that was filling their heart is just as depraved as any white man lynching a black man a hundred years ago was. Are you saying it isn't? Let's let's leave the United States. This is where this is where all of CRT collapses, of course, is when you leave the narrow confines of the United States of America. Let's transport this to Africa and reverse the roles. Is it somehow less sinful? Is it sinful in a different way? This is what happens when you allow the external lenses to become the means by which you you interpret these things. And so what we're seeing in this thread is an internal conversation within TGC pretty much uh, sort of leaking out into into the public. Um, He says, in the main, the worst animus, the most dehumanizing stereotypes and tropes, the terrorist violence, the abusive use of policies, et cetera, has been largely one-directional. In the history of the United States up until recently, but only the United States. In comparison to the communist China, the United States is a paradise for black people. I would invite Thibiti to go to China and try to do what he does here. Won't happen. Won't happen. The level of racism is that deep. The tropes, the abusive use of policies, things like that, getting disappeared. Um, yeah. So there you go. Um, then there's a bunch of, uh, of course, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of uh, book recommendations for various and sundry people. Um, he, he says... Uh, the kind of moderation these posts seem to aim at does very little to actually deepen our understanding of our particular identities and challenges therein. Moderation should not always be the Christian's goal. Sometimes we need a more radical and incisive analysis and voice. This is not the Thabiti Anuili that I spoke at a conference with back in 2008. He's changed. He knows he's changed. He, he, he gets mad when you suggest it, but he has, and he has radically. And here we are at a time where radical Marxism is marching through our streets, and it sounds like the Beatty's going, yeah, this might be what we need. Might be what we need. Remember, Marxism is the most anti-Christian thing on the planet. Um, just ask the millions who died at its hands in the last century. Oh, goodness. Um, so they're trying to be moderate And he says, to be frank, moderate evangelicalism has never been the prophetic and redemptive movement that God's people ought to represent in fallen societies. Moderation has often been the gentler hand that slows progress and numbs conscience. Well, Thabiti, I'm really wondering where your conscience is right now. The people who are dying in this revolution right now are black people. They are being murdered right, left, and centered by other black people because the systems that were at least somewhat, well, not in Chicago, but in other cities holding that violence back have been removed in the name of the progress of Marxism. You should know your history better than you do. You should know whose hand you're holding here. You should know what promoting the side that is, closest to the Chinese Communist Party is going to result in, in the long run. You should know these things, but you don't anymore. And it's, um, it's a shame to see. It really is is a shame to see. Speaking of China, um, why don't we, by the way, why don't we uh, take a phone call? 
Uh, so we can test our, our, our phone system, 877-753-3341, 877-753-3341. We'll just take one, one call, one question. Um, 877-753-3341 is the phone number. I had to find some way of, uh, I should have a graphic of that. I bet you, I, I bet you, I bet you that's possible to do. We'll, we'll learn some more stuff, but uh, I bet you I could have it flashing on the screen or something like that. But uh, we'll, just, we'll just take one phone call. We, if you don't mind being a, a guinea pig, and we can, uh, we can answer question or, or anything, but do want to make sure that that kind of thing, that kind of thing is going to work. Um, but before we do that, Discern has an article that, again, should not surprise us, but we need to be reminded of it. D- uh, dated uh, this morning, well, actually today, this little afternoon. Christians in China ordered to renounce faith, worship communist government to receive welfare, welfare payments. Uh, impoverished Christians living in China who are receiving aid from the state have been ordered to renounce their faith or have their welfare benefits revoked, according to reports from Bitter Winter, a nonprofit organization dedicated to religious and human rights in China. During a government meeting in the city of Linfen, near the northern province of Shangzi, officials from all villages under the city's jurisdiction were instructed to remove crosses, religious symbols, and images from the homes of Christians who receive welfare payments and replace them with images of Chairman Mao Zedong and President Xi Jinping. For those Christians who refuse to comply, the officials are told to withdraw their welfare benefits. A member of a three-self church located in one of the villages said that officials destroyed all religious symbols pertaining to Christianity within his home and posted a picture of Mao. Impoverished religious households can't receive money from the state for nothing. They must obey the Communist Party for the money they receive, the believer recalled the officials scolding. The policy is also being implemented in other parts of the country, the government and Jinyu City, withdrew a disabled Christian's minimum living subsidy and a monthly disability allowance of around $14. A church member in her 80s from Zhangji, Poyang County, had her monthly subsidy of $28 removed for saying, thank God, when her check arrived. You're supposed to say, thank Xi Jinping. Um, An official from a village administered by a city in the eastern province of Shandong invaded a home and posted portraits of Mao and Xi saying, these are the greatest gods. If you want to worship somebody, they are the ones. A Christian from Waihui City who refused to sign a statement renouncing her Christian faith had her allowance canceled. She depended on state money to support her two sons after her husband died. Now, what we, we, we know that Xi Jinping wants to be worshipped. We know the Chinese Communist Party wants to take the place of God for the Chinese people. We know that our brothers and sisters are suffering horribly under the Chinese Communist system. And we know that we have Marxists in our own streets trying to establish the same kind of insufferable inhumanity in our own land. I would consider them to be enemies of freedom and liberty. Um, But what you need to understand is the mindset here. How many people have now been made beholden to the United States government since February? There had been the most drastic reduction in food stamp recipients and everything else over the past few years. But all that's been changed thanks to the Great Panic of 2020. We look at the death totals, and the numbers have almost zeroed out. But right now, we're going back into lockdowns. Uh, Christians in uh, California can't meet to worship again. And uh, everyone's running around wearing their face diapers. So what has been happening is a forced... A, a creation of a dependence upon government. It's been going on for a long time, but it has accelerated amazingly 
over the past number of months. As you well know, the government made a loan available that included nonprofits, but it was primarily for small businesses. It's funny money. It's a stimulus thing. It's funny money, but you know, there's, no, there's nothing that backs it. It's just there. And many churches, the, the names came out over just, uh, just last week. I only saw Arizona, but there's evidently a website that has all the states. Many, many churches took tens of millions, hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars from the United States government. As many other people are as well. What you see here is the end result. What our government, our government right now is not run by someone who wants you to put their picture up in the house and worship them rather than Jesus. But what would stop that from happening? The mindset here is that that could never happen here. Why? If you're a Christian, I'm asking you, why? Because if you dig, dig down enough there, the only reason, the only answer you can come up with is, well, it couldn't happen here because we don't think God would do that to us. Why not? Our legal system defends infanticide. Them defends parents who want to inject their eight-year-old boys with hormone blockers to try to turn them into girls, which, of course, can't happen, so it just simply destroys their, their bodies so they can ever reproduce. There's no such thing as transitioning. It can't happen, um, no matter what. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't God allow that to happen here? What functionally, biblically, would keep you, would, would cause you to come to the conclusion that if God wanted to, in 20 years, you could have thugs breaking into every home in the United States and putting up pictures saying, worship this, worship this man, whoever it might be. Bider hunting, uh, bider hunting, <laughs> Hunter Biden. <laughs> now nah, we'll just call him bider hunting because that way we don't have to worry about all that money, including Chinese money. Oh, how'd that happen? Anyway, um, it could happen. It really could. Why, why could it not happen? Would it, would it not be just? It would be just. That's the problem. So here's, here's Christians in China ordered to renounce faith, worship communist government to receive welfare payments. So once you get everybody dependent on the state, the state then gets to tell you how to do everything. What to eat, what not to eat, what to wear, where to go. The bigger the state, the smaller the citizen. That is a truism that cannot be avoided. The bigger the state, the smaller the citizen. And the church should know that too. Every church that said, yeah, we'll, we'll take some of that. How can that church stand up prophetically? and say anything to the state when it starts doing things like this. When your hands are stained with the ink of the money that you took. Well, some thoughts, some thoughts. Okay, so let's, uh, let's find out if, our, uh, if we're going to be able to take phone calls this way. We've done it in the past. But we're doing it in a particular way right now. So let's, um, if you're ready, Rich, let's talk to Jordan in Kentucky. Hi, Jordan. Hey, how you doing, Dr. White? I'm doing good. I'm actually going to have to turn you down here a little bit. Good. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's probably working just a little bit too good. <laughs> no, as long as I can hear you, that's the important part. Sometimes even with my earphone in, I can't hear what people are saying. It's a little bit tough, but that just could be age. But anyways, what would you like to talk about about John Owen? Okay, so the um, the particular argument that John Owen made, where he presented three different options of the atonement, 
You could either have God saving no one, God saving everyone, or or God atoning for no one, God atoning for everyone, or God atoning for someone. Um, is and this is just like a preface to the question: Is it tr- isn't it true in Reformed theology that it that you ha- have a particular understanding that r- that the wrath of God abides on the unbelieving elect person until they have faith? Which That's is the result of their the being question. regenerated, yes. Uh, so, okay, yeah. So once they're regenerated, the wrath of God that was abiding on them is no longer abiding on them, because now right. they have the righteousness right. of Christ right. imputed Ro- to them. Romans chapter 5, you are either in Adam or in Christ, and those who are only in Adam can only receive from Adam what they can receive of him, which is death. But the elect are in Adam when they're born, but then they're in Christ and therefore they receive from him eternal life. And there is a point in time where they experience that which has been made certain for them in eternity, indeed at the cross itself, unless we have the idea that when Christ dies, there is no personal union between himself and the elect. So in other words, if, if we have the idea that when Christ died, he simply made a, well, a treasury of merit type thing available or a, a provided for a group of people that at that time did not yet exist and could only be known to God by looking down the future and seeing what their free will actions would be, something along those lines. I'm trying to think what a provisionist would say. Um, but the problem is that leads to an impersonal atonement. Um, so, but that's not really what Owen was talking about when he's, and, and I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that that's Owen's only argument. I mean, I had a non, primarily non-reformed professor in, in Bible college who made the exact same argument. He said, when you think about logically, God can either save no one or God can save everyone, or God can save someone. And in only one of those three scenarios, does God have any choice? Does God, can God make any choices? Um, and so that's more of an objection or an issue regarding election than it is specifically atonement, I would think. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that was just a, a preface to the r- real uh, question that I wanted to calling about. I just wanted to make sure I got my facts correct. I didn't want to misrepresent anything. Um, but the question in regards to the wrath of God abiding on the elect un- before they've come to faith, it's because, and I'll just share what I personally believe about the atonement. I do believe in an unlimited atonement, and I do believe that in that unlimited atonement, there is a truly fully accomplished substitutionary atonement having been made that Christ truly died and bearing the sins of all the world personally for each and every single individual. And then through faith, whoever believes in Christ will receive Christ's righteousness as their own and is credited to them. Um, but at the same time, I do believe some of those atoned for people will go to hell. And the reason why is unbelief. And I know that the objection is, well, if you have anyone who goes to, if you have any one of those who were atoned for it go to hell, then you have this double jeopardy type thing going on. But one of my responses to that would be, and in my mind, this seems to be a bit of an inconsistency, I guess, um, be due to the fact that the that the reformed uh people believe that God's wrath that Christ fully atoned for already on the cross abides on the elect until they believe so if the so if the argument of double jeopardy is valid if the argument saying that God cannot or, or will not cause someone who he died for to be then punished 
for their sins themselves if he's already atoned for them. If that's true, then why does the wrath of God abide on those he elected, those who he died for, until they come to faith? I, I feel like we both share the belief that faith in Christ and what he did for us in our place is what causes that wrath to no longer abide on us and to no longer um, uh, be uh, imputed to us. Our sins will no longer be uh, counted against us. And that what causes that is uh, faith. Uh, do you understand what I'm asking? I do. It doesn't make any sense, but I do understand what you're saying. You're going backwards, though. You, you think you've got a parallel, but you've actually put it backwards. Because when we talk about pe- people being the children of wrath, that's because they're born in Adam. It's not that God's wrath breaks forth upon them and destroys them. It's not that God's wrath breaks forth upon them and punishes them in this life. Um, so you have, you're trying to create a parallel, which is actually backwards. Because what you're saying is Christ bears in him, himself, though he knows that this will not accomplish the redemption of this individual. He bears in his body the punishment due to their sins, which includes unbelief. So all impediments are removed from them. But then when they die, because they have not been regenerated, all those sins will be punished in them a second time in eternity, unless, you're, unless you are a conditionalist or you reject that kind of a concept or whatever else it might be. So what we're talking about is that we are born in Adam and there has to be a transfer in our experience, into our union with Christ. That's not something that we bring about. That's something that God foreordains. That's what election is all about. But he has also elected to do that in time. You're turning that upside down and going outside of life and saying, well, if you could have someone who's atoned for uh, have wrath uh, upon them before regeneration, then I can go ahead and have them atone for and that will be for all of eternity. So the, the, the two are going different directions. But even more so, the, the, the more obvious error that I see is, is Jesus interceding for the people in hell today? If he's not, your system just collapsed. Because Jesus intercedes for every person for whom he dies. So... Is Jesus interceding for the people in hell? And what is the nature of that intercession? And what's its purpose? No, he's not, he's not interceding for those in hell. And I believe, and you know, I've been listening to you for years. And just as a side comment, I'm very thankful for your ministry and everything. Uh, I, I really do appreciate all the work that you do. Um, and uh, so having listened to you, you know, I hear you talk about uh, Hebrews all the time and so I, I think I understand your argument uh, when it comes to, you know, the uh, those who Christ died for is the same as that group as those who he currently intercedes for. Um, and uh, I, I understand the argument. It's uh, but from no. from what I was uh, from where I stand when I read Hebrews, I from what I gather from Hebrews, specifically the verse that uh, you. Uh, quote all the time in many of your debates um, on this topic, you say uh, the verse that goes um, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him Um, but I think that verse is talking about him interceding for those who draw near to God through him, those who've been gifted the gift of faith Um, I think that that's who, I think that's the group that Christ intercedes for from the book of from the book of Hebrews Okay, so, okay, uh, aside from the fact that once again, you take a passing descriptive and make it the central verb of the, of the text, which it, it just simply isn't doing, and no one who read it in its original context would have come to that conclusion, but that issue aside, you still have to say that Christ's work as high priest, because I think you said he's not interceding for them. So what you're saying not, is... Not for those in hell, no. Why not? Because, because if, uh, it, I, I, he, I, he died for I, them, right? He died for he them, did. and as long as they exist, he's a high priest. 
He presents his finished work in their behalf. That's what the high priest does. See, that's why I'm sorry. You, you, have, to, you have to break apart Hebrews' own, its own presentation of the perfection of the work of the high priest. The reason that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost in Hebrews 7 is not our drawing near. It's because he ever lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is going to live forever. There's no reason for him to stop making intercession. And so he does, and therefore he is able to save completely. That's, that's the power of, of the high priest that we have. That's what makes the new covenant the beautiful thing that it is. Um, so that was the first thing that I thought of is, okay, uh, I hear what you're saying. I just don't see how you can exegetically look at Hebrews 7 and say, well, yeah, it, that, that, you know, the proser commenus is, is the primary thing. That's, it's not. It's Jesus lives forever. That's the point of Hebrews 7. He holds his priesthood permanently. And so they knew what the high priest did. They knew that the offering, the sacrifice wasn't it. There was the presentation in the Holy of Holies. And that's the whole basis of our salvation. That's the whole basis of the certainty of it, is we have one who intercedes before us. And that's what what Romans 8 is about, too. We have that intercessor, and that's why we have peace with God. It all stands together. Uh, Brother, it really does. But hopefully you understood my response, and uh, hopefully that's something for everybody to think about. And I appreciate it, Jordan, because I was able to hear you clearly. And uh, I was able to have a good conversation with you. So I appreciate that. I I, I very much appreciate the conversation as well. Thank you very much for taking my call and talking to me. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you very much, Jordan. God bless. All righty. Well, that worked. Um, And the big thing is my cat didn't come into the room. (laughs) I am so afraid that tomorrow night that's going to happen. I, I, and, and here's my fear. If I close the, the door to the, to the kitchen, there's a pocket door there. Are, are you going to hear the caterwauling on the other side of the door once they figure out that I've locked them in the other part of the house? And what are they going to do to the rest of the house? And if he comes in, this guy, he's a sweet cat. He really is. But he is as loud as the day is long. And... Once he decides he wants your attention, he doesn't care what you're doing online. Uh, you just you just need to give him attention, or he's just going to mess everything up. So that's the that is the big challenge tomorrow night because my wife's out of town; uh, she doesn't get back till Saturday, and uh, so we'll see. <laughs> the first world problems, you know. What will we do with the cat? Uh, there's 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 the real issue. So, anyways. I think this has uh, worked out real well. Uh, Rich, what do you what do you think there was? Uh, yeah, think, went, went real well now, can overall. we talk? Very well. Yeah. I can I can barely. You can barely hear me? Barely hear you. Wow. I mean, just barely. We weren't getting that beforehand. That's weird. Yeah, that's strange because you're. How about now? Is I, that I, I have better? to lean over to the thing like better? this to hear you. I'm working well, at least it worked. Anyway, um, but it worked well. There, no, okay, I can hear you better now. Okay. All right. So went well on that end? It did. Very much so. Good. Okay, good. Well, then this has promise. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it all works. But um, we don't want – I mean, it's a lot cooler there than it is here. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm sitting here whew, uh, sweating, uh, going be, gonna to be changing this shirt when we're done with this one. So Yes, it is, it is very comfortable here. It's, it's, it's nice I'm sure cool. it is. I'm yeah, sure it fact, is. I might yes. get a jacket. But, uh, I don't know. Anyway. but tomorrow night, um, six o'clock my time. So I think it's six Pacific, nine Eastern. Uh, the uh, dialogue will take place. I'm not really sure exactly how long it's supposed to be. It, it looks like it's supposed to be like an hour and a half, something like that. Uh, but I hope you all will find that to be useful. And hopefully this is all going to work for us too. And um, so we appreciate you watching the program today. Thank you very much. God bless.